Nazarene College and the school and their heart and desire and love for you in this community. Um, Dr. Brandis on Sunday mornings will play at the church with the, with the worship team. So I didn't know he was doing that when I first started attending. I just didn't notice because you have guitars and bass and drums. And all of a sudden I'd be hearing trumpets. Like, where are the trumpets coming from? And there's Dr. Brandis just jamming over there on the organ and doing a wonderful job. So I really appreciate his, his love and, and passion for the organ and, and contributing here this morning. Our lesson today is going to be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And when I began preparing about two weeks ago, knowing that this was the text I would preach from, I knew that because it was on the church calendar as we enter into this Lenten season. I thought I'd focus on a few verses, and then it changed. Well, I'll focus on a couple others, and well, no, I'll focus on these, and kept switching back and forth. But uh, so I'm going to be jumping around a little bit in the second chapter or the fourth chapter of Second Corinthians. Um, I'll be reading verse one, six, ten, fourteen, and a couple of others. Hear the word of the Lord. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Therefore. Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Down to verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus, bringing us into his presence. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Heavenly Father, your word has been spoken. By the power of your Holy Spirit, may you speak to us today. Apply it to our hearts and lives that we might be forever changed. So that we might glorify you in all that we say and all that we do. In Christ's name, amen. The thing that stood out to me right away as I began reading the text over and over again, and I actually try to memorize it, uh, often I'll try to memorize the text, but the first verse that stood out to me was uh, verse 1. Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. And then at verse 16, he concludes, so we do not lose heart. And I started questioning and asking, how do we not lose heart? What does that mean, not to lose heart? Now, what Paul's talking about here, he's not talking about losing heart the way we sometimes, quote-unquote, lose heart, the way we sometimes get depressed and discouraged. He's not talking about losing heart because your favorite team lost in the Super Bowl. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about losing heart because the team that you follow stinks. He's not, he's not talking about that. We become so passionate over sports and different things, it's amazing how much energy and time we give to things. And uh, it can be even depressing at times when there's a loss, but Paul's not talking about that. He's not talking about how we become disappointed in ourselves. He's not talking about how we lose heart in our own behavior, in our own actions necessarily. Earlier this week, I stood on the scale, and it was a troubling moment in my life. I realized since Christmas, I've gained five pounds. Thank you for your prayers. I was discouraged and depressed. I kind of lost heart because uh, last year, I had, had lost 10 or 15, and I was happy and proud. But I know who to blame. I blame Donnie and Marky Mark Wahlberg. 
they just opened a restaurant in Hingham Shipyard called Wall Burgers. And they are really good burgers. We've been twice, Edie and I. And, and of course, if you get a Wall Burger, you need a great chocolate shake. So I had to order a chocolate shake. I felt it was my duty. And then I was thankful that Edie could never finish her meal or her shake. So I finished hers as well. It was a ministry. It was, it was a calling. So I am a little down and depressed and need to change my eating habits. Probably not a bad thing to uh, change your eating habits, during, especially during Lenten journey, and try to stay under 2,000 calories a day. So that's what I'm trying to get back to. And, but I'm a little discouraged and down. But that's not the type of discouragement and disappointment and the loss of heart that Paul is talking about. Some of you have experienced a broken heart. Sometimes we experience a broken heart or we feel like we lose heart because we give our hearts to things, places, or people that should have never had our hearts in the first place. And there is a whole sermon there. But we'll go by it quickly. But let me say that again. Sometimes we experience pain and brokenness in our hearts and lives, and we lose heart and we give up on hope and relationships and things, but that's because we have given our hearts to things that should have never had them in the first place. Do not blame God for those moments. Know that God can come into that moment and redeem and restore and heal. He loves you and cares for you. But those are the not the type of things that Paul is talking about here. When Paul talks about losing heart, he's talking about that he's not going to lose heart when the trials come for serving and following God. He will not lose heart when he becomes overwhelmed by the accusations made against him. He will not lose heart. If we read his letters to the churches and we read in Acts, we see that at times he was discouraged and disappointed. And maybe at times he did lose heart. But here in this letter... He's saying, no matter how bad it gets, I need to be reminded, we do not lose heart. The church in Corinth was a messed up church. Oh, it was unbelievable. Paul started the church in Corinth. We read about that in Acts 18, 1 through 11, and how the church started by him preaching in the synagogues, and they wouldn't receive his message. So he started preaching to the Gentiles, and people started following, and he he began the church. It was really an amazing thing. After he's there about a year and a half, he leaves, but he learns from some friends in Chloe's household that the church in Corinth is split into fractions. Not just a church split where two groups go, but it's, it's splitting all over the place. And he's concerned about it. About the same time, Paul receives a letter from the Corinthians asking for his advice and guidance on certain issues in regards to the order of worship, in regards to dealing with those that are not part of the church, the outside world, if you will. And we can read about that in 1 Corinthians. He responds to their division and he answers their request for advice by writing what we now know as 1 Corinthians. And then a series of crises continue to break out, caused by a ringleader who launches a personal attack against Paul. And we can see that in 2 Corinthians 2 and uh, 2 Corinthians 7. We see Paul literally addressing this ringleader, if you will, who's causing these divisions, who's questioning Paul's authority, who's dismissing him and saying, why are you even following? He's weak. He's nothing. His theology is warped and... This ringleader is causing disruption in the church and it's splitting it into even more fractions. It was a messed up church. Don't ever be, just a side note, don't ever be one of these ringleaders in the churches you attend. Don't ever do anything to cause division. There will be difficult times and at times difficult conversations and you may need to speak to leadership, but do so in the spirit and attitude of Christ. Don't be a ringleader that causes division and dismisses the leadership of others in the church. But that's what was happening to Paul. 
he then receives this report from Timothy and all that's happening and all, that taking, that all that's taking place. So he pays a visit to, visit to Corinth to deal with the issue in person. And he later refers to this occasion when he writes about it as a painful visit. He is humiliated before the church and he returns to Ephesus and he's discouraged and he's down. He then writes a powerful letter at great cost to him. It came at a great cost in order to deal with the crises. And that letter is known as the tearful or the severe letter where he really, what we believe, kind of really lays into them and really in a stern way tells them that they must correct their actions and correct their ways and love one another and serve and follow God. Now, most of that letter we believe is lost, though many scholars believe it's in 2 Corinthians chapters 10 through 13, at least a portion of it, where he's really boldly challenging the congregation. Paul meets Titus in his travels after this who relates that the worst is over and it seems like the rebellion is over and, and Paul's thankful for that and excited for that. So then he pens this letter of 2 Corinthians. Many believe before the letter is sent he learns that there are renewed troubles. Renewed troubles have broken out in the church and that a group in the church is in danger of being won over by emissaries who have challenged Paul's authority again. So introducing again another rival teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul was proclaiming. This groundswell of opposition confirms Paul's fears as we read throughout this letter. We see that he's addressing this, as well as being thankful for all that God has done in the church and all that God is continuing to do. There are still many, many issues that he's trying to address in this broken and fractured and divided church. And yet we come to chapter 4. Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Later on in chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. How? How? I mean, if someone was making false accusations against you, if you had invested in the lives of people, if you invested in the lives of a community and People come in and make accusations against you and then they dismiss you and, and uh, just leave your teaching and don't care to follow you anymore. How do you not become discouraged when you have these false accusations placed against you? So I was, a question that was in my mind, in fact I was maybe even screaming it in my mind at times, how do you not lose heart when you give your best and people disrespect you or make false accusations against you? How do you not lose heart? When at times it feels like God is not changing people's lives, you invest in their life, you give everything to a church or to a community or to a school, and lives aren't changed. How do you not lose heart? Because part of the letters that he was receiving is that, you know, the church isn't growing at all. In fact, people are leaving. When at times it seems so many are more interested in giving, when we so are so interested in giving our lives a sacrificial way to God and to others, and we do all that we can, and we say, Lord... Take all of me, whatever you need from me, I give it to you. I'll serve these people, I'll love these people. And then they respond in this way. How do you not lose heart? How do you not lose heart when you're afflicted, crushed, perplexed, driven to despair, persecuted, forsaken, struck down and destroyed? Even in Christian churches, and dare I say, even at Eastern Nazarene College, how do you respond when those moments come? Persecuted, made fun of, dismissed, ridiculed, belittled, simply for seeking to live a life that glorifies God. How do we not lose heart? Paul does answer that in these verses. 
that I want to get to momentarily, but we know there are... I mean, I went to it right away when I asked the question, and I want to make sure it's not a cop-out, or I want to make sure I'm just like, well, that's the standard answer the chaplain's supposed to give, but it is true. We do not lose heart by remembering in our personal journey, our, our personal relationship with Christ, that Christ calls us to spend time with Him and that that is a gift. And that if we make time to be with Him, whether that's reading your devotionals or sitting in silence or whatever your spiritual time, your spiritual journey may look like, you are to spend time with our Lord and Savior so that He can renew and refresh and remind you of the call He has upon your life so that you do not lose heart. Our personal spiritual practices are important so that we do not lose heart. Our spiritual practices, our Christian spiritual practices within community are important so that we do not lose heart. Certainly in our own community, but specifically in the church community. We are to be part of a Christian community. And I'd like to suggest to you today that the church, a community of faith, that that is the real world. Sometimes we say, well, out in the real world, no, I believe what Will Willimon wrote, former chaplain at Duke Divinity School, right, that it's when we gather in times like this. It's when we gather for chapel or when you gather with your church community. That is the real world. Because we are reminded of whose we are. We are reminded of who we are. And we are challenged and called to go and then be the light of Christ into the world. The kingdom of heaven is advancing and moving forward and there's no greater example than that than when we gather together and sing praise to His name or open His word or go to Him in prayer or get challenged to go and live a life and put our faith into practice as we go our separate ways. No, this is the real world. And then we learn about how we are to live out our Christian faith. So we know not to lose heart. We've known it through the centuries that we make sure we spend time and devotion and communion with our Lord, whatever that may look like for you. We are to be part of a Christian and faith community, the real world, so that we might know how to live day to day. And finally, we live a life of service to others. We live a life of giving, sacrificing, surrendering for the sake of another. That may happen certainly within our church community, but more specifically I'm thinking of whether it be the least of these or those who don't know Christ as and Savior of their life and making sacrifices and living in a way that someone else's life might be better. If we live in such a way in our personal spiritual journey, in our corporate journey as a community of faith, and in our putting our faith into practice, we will not lose heart because we are reminded of who we are and we are reminded of whose we are. But Paul in this letter, in this fourth chapter, gives us even more advice. He gives us more insight on on why we shouldn't lose heart and why we shouldn't be discouraged because things may not be working out the way we had hoped or planned in our, in our faith journey. First, Paul tells us that the results are up to God. People are saying, people aren't responding to your gospel. No one's listening to this message. Maybe the church started okay, but now it's, everyone is dismissing your message. And then we read in, in verse 3, and Paul responds, even if our gospel is veiled, even if it is veiled, even if people don't see it when we proclaim the message, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus Christ is the image of God. If you want to know what God looks like or how God would live, and so we look to the life of Jesus, and Paul is saying, 
If they don't respond to that message, that is not our fault that the gospel is veiled to them. If they are turned the other way and not towards the cross, if they are turned the other way and not looking towards Christ, we cannot expect them to respond to this gospel. For they will not. For they're not open to it. They're not looking for it. They're not willing to receive the grace of God in their life. Yes, if they are willfully choosing to go in the other direction, don't be discouraged by that. That is not your fault. They are not rejecting you. They are rejecting Christ. Let God define success in your life and your ministry. Let God define success in if you are faithfully serving and following. Unfortunately, we can very easily get caught up, especially in, in the church and among pastors. What church is growing? Or which one's the mega church? Or which one's the bigger church? And so often we base our standards on what is success by what other people say instead of how God would define success in our life. Let the light of Christ shine through you. Live a life fully surrendered and sacrificed to God and Christ. And remember that the results are up to God, not you. And that if they reject you, it is Christ that they are rejecting. So we do not lose heart. It's not me that they're rejecting. It is Christ they are rejecting. I love them, I care for them, I want to serve and follow Christ, I I will give all that I can, but if they choose to walk the other way, I've done all that I can. Second, Paul reminds us that the light of Christ shines in our heart and in our life. Verse 6, For God said, Let light shine out of darkness. For the light of Christ has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we are to remember that when we enter into dark times, when we enter into darkness, the light of Christ shines. Some of you have made radical commitments to the Lord to serve and follow Him, and now you find yourselves in a a dark place. If you will, no one's responding. You're wondering how things are going to work out. You hear about situations in this community or around the world, and you're discouraged and depressed, and you thought God was going to make a difference, and you don't see the light of Christ anywhere. Can I suggest to you that maybe you are the light of Christ in that situation? That you are the light of Christ. That God is at work in that moment because He has placed you in that moment. So we do not lose heart. The light of Christ shines through us. The light of Christ is at work to the glory and honor of God. One of my favorite sermons is a sermon that I never heard preached, but I simply read it. A man by the name James S. Stewart. And I recently gave this sermon to the preaching class where I wanted them to to read it for themselves and look at his style of preaching. But the title of the message is The Darkness Where God Was. And the message is based on simply one verse, Exodus 20, 21. The people stood at a distance as Moses drew unto the thick darkness where God was. We know that God is light and the light of Christ shines. We often forget that God is in the darkness as well. The same God of light is the same God of the darkness. Sometimes we don't see it and feel it the way we'd like to, but all of us, all followers of Christ, go through this period where we wonder, where is God in the midst of this darkness? Allow me to read just two paragraphs from this sermon. Stuart pleads with me. But I beg and beseech of you not to lose heart in the darkness. For remember, 
all the saints without exception have had that experience from Jacob and Elijah right down to Evelyn Underhill and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The brightest and best of the sons and daughters of the morning have been there before you. And they, all with one unanimous voice, bear witness the thick darkness where God was. The saints are not liars. This thing is true. Jacob at midnight, down in the black savage gorge of the Kidron, wrestled with a horrible oppressive shadow. And when the dawn broke, he suddenly knew that he had been wrestling with God. And that night, that terrible night, became the most incomparably important moment in his life. He did not only get through the darkness, it turned the raw, ordinary creature he was into what the Bible henceforth calls him as a prince of God. I plead with you, do not lose heart in the dark hour. For the God who himself went through the darkest hour of all to redeem the world is quite certainly there. And every congregation has people in it now. Can I add, our own community. And in this sanctuary now, we have people in it who would never have been here today if they have not proved this true beyond the shadow of doubt, the thick darkness where God is. So Paul is reminding us that even in those dark times where we don't think God is at work and active and we don't see results the way we like to see results, be reminded, be encouraged, God is there. Be reminded and be encouraged that God trusts you and believes in you. For he placed you in that situation to be the light of Christ. Let the light of Christ shine in your life. Finally, we need to remember, Paul reminds us, this is not our home. This is not our home. We are simply passing through. And when Paul found himself discouraged and down at times, he reminded himself that the results were up to God, not to him. He was reminded that even though he didn't see or think or feel like God was at work, he knew that the light of Christ was shining even in that dark hour. But he also found comfort and encouragement time to time from this thought. This is not my home. I'm just passing through. Verse 16 and 17. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is not our home. Or as a group, I didn't even know until I heard their song on the radio the other day while driving the kids to a basketball game. A group called 429 has a song called Where I Belong. It says this, All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. Let's listen to small portion of that.
It's not like every day we should say, Lord, just take me home. Lord, just take me home. We shouldn't live in that way because there are so many that don't know Christ yet. So often we pray, Lord, return now, but I don't think that should be our prayer. I say, Lord, please don't return yet because there are still so many that don't know you as Lord and Savior of their life. This is not a call or a reminder to hope that, Lord, just take me home now, but it is an encouragement to Paul and it is an encouragement to us that we remind ourselves from time to time this is not our home. These are light, momentary afflictions and they are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. So we do not lose heart. The results are up to God. We let the light of Christ shine in our lives. And this is not our home. I know I said finally, but I have one more point. I'm going to have three conclusions today in a summation. That's what my friend would say. There's another thing about verse 1 that caught my attention. I had missed until I read it last week. Having this ministry... Having this ministry, it doesn't say having this ministry by the charge of God. It does not say having this ministry by the requirement of God. It doesn't say having this ministry by the grace of God, though that would certainly fit. It says having this ministry by the mercy of God. I never, I've never heard. Someone say, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, whether you are a pastor or a teacher, a scientist, businesswoman or man, having this ministry by the mercy of God. We could use the word compassion there. Having this ministry by the compassion of God. Paul remembers where he came from. Paul remembers the life he used to live. Paul remembers the day on that Damascus road when the light of Christ burst forth into his life. And he has not forgotten that. He has not forgotten the way he used to be. And the privilege and blessing it is to now serve the God that he once persecuted, to now serve and follow the God that he once mocked, he now views that as God's mercy in his life. It's God's compassion in his life. Having this ministry by the mercy of God. After revival, or excuse me, during revival, I know that many of you, as Rick had so beautifully shared with us today, and thank you for sharing that, that word, many of you prayed in, in beautiful ways and had a blessing of praying with many of you here. And I know it's happened not just in revival, but in other situations, in, in discipleship groups, and in different places around campus, and in relationships with professors, and building relationships with them, and and growing in your faith. Many of you made deep and powerful commitments to the Lord. You've made deep and life-changing decisions, and now challenges have come after you've made those decisions, and you're like, where is God in all of this? Lord, I, I surrendered to you. I made a commitment to you, whether that was accepting you as Lord and Savior or surrendering all to you. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And, and now it's difficult, Lord. Now it's challenging. Why, why Lord? I'll do whatever you ask, but this is, this is too much. can I suggest to you that we do not define revival or spiritual renewal by a service or services. I have, I wouldn't say I have no idea, but I can't say for sure whether revival happened when you prayed here or in the discipleship group or with a professor. 
We can only define revival and decide whether revival happened when we get further down our road and look back and see, was my life really changed? Did I really change the way I was living? Did I really make the sacrifices that needed to be made? Not just in that moment, as beautiful and sacred and holy as it is and as it was at altars like this or in times of gatherings like this. But we only know if there was revival in your heart and in your life and in this community. If we go through the dark times, if we go through the challenging times, if we go through the questioning times and live faithful in those moments, This message today is to encourage you, I hope. That's my hope anyway. Do not lose heart. Do not give up. You made some commitments. You made some sacrifices. God may be calling for more sacrifice. Don't lose heart. The results are up to God how your family responds to your way of living now. The results are up to God on how your friends respond to the way that you are living, though it may be difficult. Leave the results to God. Let Him define success in your life. Let the light of Christ shine in your life and remember when you find yourself in the darkness, remember the darkness where God was and that you are the light of Christ in that situation and in that moment. And remember that this is not your home. You're just passing through and you are being prepared for a far greater glory than you can ever hope or imagine. I've asked Rick and Lambert, we're going to sing a hymn of response this morning called, I give all to you. I give all my service. I give all my life. I give all my family to you. I think the words will be on screen, but if you will please stand, we'll sing that together, and then I'll close in prayer. service to you. I give all my service to you. No matter the cost or what others do, I give all my service to you. I give all my problems to you. I give all my problems to you. No matter the cost or what others do, I give all. My problems to you. I give all my family to you. I give all my family to you. No matter the cost, or what others do, 
followers of you that do not lose heart. Thank you that you walk with us. Thank you that you journey with us. Thank you that you support us and love us. And we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Go in peace to love God and serve others. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful weekend.